This morning I'll be reading from the Gospel of John as we have been in our Lent series. I'll be reading uh, John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son might be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're, you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he'll rise again in the last, the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said. And is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
and the Jews who had also come along with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who, have, who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Presbyterian pastor and poet J. Barry Shepard was spending time in St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands one winter. And he writes that on one day, one of the stray dogs that hung around the house that we stayed in caught one of the wild chickens that roosted in the trees. The dog toyed with the chicken for a while, kind of munching and chomping and nuzzling at it and then left it lying in the driveway. He goes on, I assumed the poor beast had expired until it began to give out a long, a series of long, low moans to which its family and the trees responded with all sorts of squawks and shrieks and cackles. When the bird was finally still, he went over with the gardener to check it out. The rooster laid there on the ground, head in the dust, legs up in the air, seemingly quite dead. The gardener bent down to pick it up, but as soon as he touched one claw, the bird was on its feet, in the air, flying and squawking down the road and up into the nearest tree. He writes, it's as if the whole thing had been some kind of game. He teases, maybe this was a show they put on for the island tourists. We've become so familiar with this idea of resurrection that it's hard to imagine a time before Easter. It's difficult to put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus' disciples, of Thomas and Martha and Mary and Lazarus. We're probably inclined to see Jesus kind of walking through this story, just giving a, you know, a wink and a nod in our direction, kind of telling us, you know what's coming, so don't worry about it. And then we gloss over the real suffering and grief in the story. Like resurrection is just some kind of game or a party trick, a show for the tourists. Resurrection runs the risk of becoming 
sentimentalized for us. The stuff of wall hangings and Easter greeting cards. The stuff of gravestones and eulogies, reserved only for the end of life or for Easter. But this passage in John helps us to put some skin and bones on the idea of resurrection again. But we won't encounter the skin and bones of resurrection until we come to terms with the real skin and bones of suffering and grief that pervade this story. The first sign of grief comes from Thomas. And Thomas is resigned to the powers of death. Jesus and his disciples heard the news that Lazarus was sick. Jesus loved this man and his sisters, but he's in no hurry to get there. After a couple of days, Jesus finally tells his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, last time you were there, they tried to stone you. And now you want to go back? Going back to see Lazarus and his sisters would put Jesus in danger. Going back would put Jesus' disciples in danger. But Lazarus has died now, and Jesus tells his disciples that they need to go back so Jesus can wake him up. The promise of resurrection is sparked in that moment. But that doesn't stop Thomas from muttering under his breath to the other disciples, I guess let's go too. We'll die with him. Different interpreters are inclined to hear Thomas differently in this statement. Some read this as a resolute, self-assured statement, like Thomas is puffing up his chest, mustering his courage and resolve, like some kind of Braveheart-style rallying speech before battle. It's a nice picture. It doesn't really seem to me to fit with the Thomas who we know from Scripture. Thomas is a kind of realist in the group. He doesn't sugarcoat things. He's not exactly known for his rock-solid faith. It's a bit of a gray cloud, really. So he's probably not rallying the troops like Braveheart, but more likely sulking away, muttering under his breath as the disciples turn from Jesus to go pack up their things. A lot of good it's going to do us to see Lazarus. We'll just end up dead like him. Thomas is a picture of the real skin and bones of resignation and a deep desire to avoid death. Thomas is all of us who, seeing death and its power, are resigned to its power and so try very hard to stay far away where we're safe. But here I mean more than literal death, of course. I mean also the powers of death that encompass everything that leads a way that steals life. Things like oppression, self-doubt, social social isolation, and fear and anxiety and loss, and we could go on. We hear Thomas's muttering on our own lips when we avoid difficult conversations for fear of disrupting the peace. It's the thinking that, you know, well, if I, if I bring up faith or politics or race or sexuality, then I know an argument's going to happen. Someone's going to slam the door and leave. 
There are a lot of folks in our congregation right now going through our denomination's report on human sexuality. And Thomas, thinking, would have us come to this report and say, well, I guess we can't avoid these issues anymore, but probably it's going to end up fracturing our denomination, if not our church. Thomas, thinking, is a giving up before the fact. We inhabit the skin and bones of resignation and a deep desire to avoid all the powers of death, just like Thomas. As the story goes on, Jesus and his disciples get to Bethany, where they find Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus. They are another embodiment of grief. They put skin and bones on if-only thinking. First, it comes from Martha. She had heard that Jesus was near, and so she left the house to go meet him. Now, it's been four days since Lazarus died, which in the Jewish mind means that he is really, truly gone. That after three days, his soul would would leave from hovering over his body, and his soul would go to Sheol, the place where the dead wait for the resurrection. It's been two days since Jesus and his disciples left to travel to Bethany, and as they approach, they can hear the sound of cries from far off. Because Jewish folks in ancient times don't mourn with a sniffle and silent tears. They mourn in loud cries and heavy sobs. They have professional mourners, actually, in the mix to help embody and give voice to the grief of the family. The first greeting that the disciples receive after their long journey, it's not a welcome and a hug. It's an accusation of sorts. Kind of, what took you so long, Jesus? Martha approaches Jesus as the wailing of the mourners pours out of the house, and in her own grief, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She expresses faith that Jesus may still be able to do something about it. Her sister Mary repeats this later on when she comes out of the house and collapses in front of Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is both faith in the real power of Jesus to do something for them but it's also an embodiment of if-only thinking. If only we could go back and do things differently, he might be okay. If only you had hurried up, Jesus. If only you came when we told you he was sick. If only is a desire to rewind the clock, a desire born out of deep grief. Martha and Mary are all of us who experiencing deep grief and hurt replay in our minds all the things that would be better if we could just rewind the clock. In 2019, the magazine The Atlantic published an article entitled On 9-11, Luck Meant Everything. In this article, the author tells about how seemingly trivial decisions on that infamous morning ended up sparing people's lives. Michael was a chef 
at the restaurant on the top of the World Trade Center. Usually he's at work by 8.30 in the morning. But that day, he decided just to stop and get new eyeglasses at the shopping center, underneath the World Trade Center. And so he survived the terrorist attacks while 72 of his restaurant co-workers did not. Another man was supposed to be on one of the flights that were hijacked. But he missed his flight that morning because he twisted his ankle. The article is filled with story after story of people who narrowly missed becoming part of that death toll. But for every, everyone in that article, every story in that article, there are many more families left wondering why God had not intervened for their loved ones that morning, even in just the tiniest ways. If God had only turned one more red light on their way to work, if God had only made them to spill their coffee so they had to go home and and change their clothes, if only, if only, if only God had shown up in the tiniest ways when their loved one could be counted among the so-called lucky. And we feel this way too at times, even if it's less extreme. If only I had not raised my voice or sent that angry text or ignored that call, then I might still have that relationship. If only I had gone to the doctor sooner, they might have caught the signs earlier. If only elected officials around the world had made different decisions last year at this point. If only people followed the advice of healthcare professionals, then we might not be in this situation. If only, if only, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. In their grief, Mary and Martha are the skin and the bones on all of our if-onlys. And finally, Jesus is a picture of the skin and bones of grief. When despite knowing what was about to happen, he is overcome with grief. After Mary had collapsed in front of him, she wept, and Jesus was moved in the depths of his heart for the loss of the sisters, but for his own loss of a dearly loved friend. Where have you laid him? He asked. And taking him to the place where Lazarus was buried, Jesus is overcome with his own grief. And he weeps because the friend who he loved so deeply is dead. The message of this story is not to buck up and not worry. The message of this story is not to put on a happy face and pretend like everything's going to be okay. Jesus, who knows what he is about to do, still weeps for the loss of his friend. There is no wink and a nod. There is true, deep grief. Later in the Bible, we read the words, Where, O death, is your victory? Where is your sting? It is right here. It is right here where Jesus weeps. Jesus is the skin and bones on the real suffering and grief that's occasioned by death and all of its forces. 
Jesus is the embodiment of the reality that lament and hope are held together. Both are an act of faith in God. Now, until we see ourselves in these people and their words and actions and hopes and fears, we may not see Jesus in the present tense. He'll remain safely in the past where we can get a 2D picture of him, giving a wink and a nod as he sets off to see Lazarus. We'll miss the skin and the bones that inhabit a world of grief, a world of resignation to the powers of death, a world of if-onlys and wanting to turn back the clock, a world where God is allowed to weep. Resurrection in the Bible will look more like a party trick, something maybe that will only happen in the future, which was Martha's problem, by the way, that resurrection was only a future hope for her, as it was for all Jews at the time, As long as we miss the skin and bones that inhabit this world of grief, we will miss resurrection life because we won't see our present need for it. But once we come to grips with all our griefs and our losses, when we hear Thomas and Martha and Mary and even Jesus cries in our own mouths, then we will see all the more clearly, the one who is resurrection and life. Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? In Jesus, God's promise of resurrection and life is breaking into the present. Jesus takes a future promise and makes it a present reality. He puts skin and bones on it. Jesus is the skin and bones of resurrection and life. Resurrection moves toward the place of death and grief. Resurrection now goes to the place where Lazarus' body is decomposing where there is no sign of life, only the stench of death. Resurrection says, take away the stone. Didn't I tell you that you would see the glory of God? Resurrection says, Lazarus, come out. Come out of the dark and cold place where you've been left to rot. Come out to the warmth and the sun. Come out to life. The resurrection of Lazarus is, of course, a foreshadowing of what would happen when the resurrection and life himself was placed in a tomb. But the resurrection of Lazarus is also different from Jesus' own resurrection. It's provisional, in a sense. Because, of course, Lazarus would die again. Maybe even quite soon after this story, because if you keep reading on, what you see is that there's a plot by religious leaders to cover up what Jesus was doing, to make sure that Lazarus stayed dead. Because the powers of death do not give up so easily. The future promise is breaking into the present, 
so that Thomas and Martha and Mary and Lazarus and all who saw it would believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the resurrection and the life. So that they would believe resurrection and life is not only something for the future, but also a present reality. A present reality with skin and bones on that they could reach out and touch. For all those who inhabit the skin and bones of grief, the raising of Lazarus is the assurance that in the end, death will not have the final word. Life will. Resurrection says to Thomas, to all those who are resigned to the powers of death, even if you die, even if the worst thing you can imagine might happen, ends up happening, still you will live. The resurrection and the life is showing Thomas that death will not have the final word. Life will. Death may be a firm reality. So too oppression, division, self-doubt, isolation, fear, anxiety, loss. But after all those things is life. This is Christ's word to us as well. And our resignation and our anxiety And as many of us continue on through this human sexuality report, if we fear for what it means for the future of our denomination, the future of our church, even our own families, Christ's word to us is that resurrection and life are just as sure as death and division, not only for the future, but in the present tense as well. Resurrection says to Martha and Mary, to those who stay up at night thinking, if only, if only, there is no rewinding the clock. There is no going back. There is only the future breaking into the present. The resurrection and the life is showing Martha and Mary that death will not have the final word. Life will. There is no going back to life before death, there is only moving forward into life despite death. Their brother comes out, squinting in the light of daytime, probably wondering what on earth was happening to him. Still in his grave clothes, maybe still smelling a little off, but he has no words. Lazarus remains silent in the story. John records no story about what it's like to die and come back to life. Wouldn't we love to hear Lazarus's side of this story? I know we would because Christians buy up books about this stuff like they're candy. But for John, what it's like to die is so far from the point of this story. John is far more interested in what it is like to live. In Jesus Christ, resurrection and life have skin and bones on. The one who is the resurrection and life is at the center of this story. But he is also at the beginning and the end. The one who is the resurrection and the life is the hope of ages past. And our hope for years to come. But also the one who comes to the places of death in the present tense. So come out, 
Come out of your resignation to death and all its powers. Come out of pining for the past, wishing you had done things differently. Come out to the light and to the warmth of day and stand with the God who weeps with us. Even as this same God promises to turn all of our weeping into cries of joy. Thanks be to God for giving us his son, the resurrection and the life. Amen. Please pray with me. God of new life, of resurrection and hope, thank you for this gift of your word and help us to believe what we have heard and to answer with Mary, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing, would you show us your glory in putting death to death, in bringing life to the dark and cold places of our lives and our world. And then equip us to unbind all those who have been captive to death and to nurture life so that we would testify to the one who is the resurrection and the life. Amen.